And if you don't know who I am, my name is Jim. If you've never been to our church, and I'm the campus pastor here, and um, anything I say tonight that is out of context or heretical is not on me because I'm on drugs for my surgery. So um, I'm playing. Uh, it's a great privilege to have you with us tonight, and it's a privilege for me to be able to open up God's Word with you uh, tonight. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter, uh, John chapter number 19, um, as tonight our focus is going to be on, um, obviously, Christ and um, the cross. Today's Good Friday. I know you all know that, as I know this holiday specifically within the church of those who attend church on this Friday uh, normatively are those to which are bought-in believers who are here to uh, remember and really memorialize what Christ did on the cross for us some 2,000 years ago on our behalf on Good Friday. And why it's called a Good Friday to each one of us is because, as we will see, what Christ did on the cross for us really solidifying um, what Easter is really all about. Uh, it really just brings to life, quite literally, uh, Easter and what Christ has done for us. And I know uh, as we explore tonight and set our affections and our heart on the crucifixion, um, we want to look at what happened and what does it actually mean for us as we focus in on it. And, and like I said, many of you, if not all of you, maybe those of you who are watching online, you, you've, you, you've, you've read the passages, you've, you've seen uh, and heard of what Christ has done on your behalf. And I know that you know many of the facts about the event, that Jesus was beaten and he was mocked and he was humiliated and he was crucified and he died. I mean, that's why we're here tonight. That's why you're sitting here and I'm sitting here opening up God's word with you. And what I want to look at is, but why then, why do we remember this most horrific event in history? Like, why are we sitting in this room? Why do we memorialize it? Why do we gather every Good Friday in rooms and in churches all over the country every single year? And, and why? You think about that for a moment. Why is it the central event to all of Christianity? The thing in which matters most in all of Christianity. Um, today, I want you to just leave with this. I want you to leave with the fact that through Jesus' death, Jesus puts sin to death. I mean, that's why it's Good Friday. That's why we're gathered here today. That's why we gather every Good Friday is that through Christ's death, he puts sin to death. Amen? I mean, that's why it's, it's Good Friday. While the rest of the world looks at it and says, why do the rest of you, all of Christianity, why do you celebrate child abuse? that God the Father would send his son to die on behalf of the world, why do you memorialize it? Why do you celebrate it? Because for us on the other end, us that are in Christ, those of you in this room that are in Christ, for us through Christ's death, Jesus put sin to death. And that's good news for me. And it's good news for you and what I want us to look at tonight is how did that happen? How did Jesus put sin to death? And that happens in the cross of Christ. And the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the Apostles' Creed in a series called The Essentials and Why Truth Matters, because we live in a truth, live in a world where truth often doesn't matter. And when you look at the Apostles' Creed, it lays out for us in more of a succinct way for us to understand truth and why it matters and what we truly should believe 
as believers, and as we read through the Apostles' Creed, it lands just perfectly for us on Good Friday, as we landed last week, or ended last week, or Sunday, excuse me, with I believe in Jesus Christ, it continues on to say, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended to the dead. And that's what I want to look at with you tonight as we dive in to John chapter 19 on Good Friday and remember what Christ has done on our behalf. So really, truly, we're not going to read it, but we're going to start in John chapter 18 because context is, is key. Whenever you're reading the Bible, the context of the scripture you're reading is so key. And so on the morning that Jesus is, on the morning of Passover, excuse me, in detailed in John chapter 18, Jesus is brought before a Roman governor who asks him, he, who asks him some very pointed questions. His name is Pilate. And, and he asks him, like, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? And he gives him some questions, and Jesus' responses are very clear. Later on, go there and read in John chapter 18 as Jesus responds to Pilate. Yet they're not exactly what Pilate's looking for. They're not the answers that he wants to hear. Very easily, Jesus could respond in a way that doesn't get him in trouble, but he can only say and tell the truth of the reality of the situation. So Pilate, numerous times, even in what Jesus responds with, declares that Jesus is innocent of the crimes that are brought against him, and he's scared. He, he doesn't want to, the mob to, to roar and the Jewish people, and so he's put pressure on him by the religious leaders and the angry mob, and so in, a, in, a, in an act of supreme cowardice, Pilate, act, Pilate asks the crowds, like, who do you want? Who do you want me to release to you today? Do you want it to be Barabbas, who is a known criminal leading an insurrection? He, he was known to, to murder someone in an insurrection. Bad guy, he's been in prison for a while, and he's a known prisoner. And, and every Passover, it was normative for Pilate to release someone to them. And he says, who do you want today? Do you want it to be Barabbas? Or do you want it to be Jesus? And the, the Jewish people respond by saying, no, we want you to crucify Christ. They didn't say Christ, but crucify Jesus. And this, this choice is what sets in motion the text that we're going to look at today as we see a number of ways in which Jesus puts sin to death. First is the way in which he suffered under Pontius Pilate, as we already said, that comes from the Apostles' Creed. Look with me in John chapter 19 and verse 1 through 5. He says this, Then Pilate took Jesus and he flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it, in his, put it on his head and arrayed him in, in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I bring him, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So he's already said this once, here he is again. I find no guilt in him after he's already flogged him, put a crown of thorns on his head, put a robe, mocked him. And in verse 5, so Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And so just as the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus suffers under Pontius Pilate. So Jesus um, is taken here at the beginning of the text, and it says that they take him, 
and they make their decision to flog Jesus. And if you've been around church for a while, you maybe understand what flogging is. This is no small act. This is no, no big deal. He got slapped on the wrist a couple of times. If you look into what flogging is, they took Jesus, they probably handcuffed him to a post, and they would have taken a rod, maybe about this long, that had leather straps off of it. On the end of those leather straps would have been glass or sharp objects of steel or others, and they would begin to whip Jesus on the back. So for within Jewish law, there was a limit with which you could get. You could only get 40 lashings. But within the Romans, there was no such thing. And so Jesus, most people, as he was even um, later on unrecognizable, was beaten. As you would begin to be beaten, I don't want to be gruesome, but I want you to understand what happened to him, that it would begin to tear the flesh off of their back, even to the point where maybe their ribs would be exposed. And it says that Jesus was beaten and flogged and then after that, they put up an array of, of, of thorns on his head so it moves not just from, from mockery but to disrespect. So they make and fashion a certain kind of thorns that are very long and they would have pressed them down into Jesus' head, probably going through his skin, maybe even into partly going into and touching his skull as they pressed them down into his head. And then after, his back was ripped open they would have put a purple robe on him. I don't know if you've ever had an open wound and then had something pressed onto it. And so he's wearing now a, a purple robe that would be seen as, as someone who is like a king and wearing a crown of thorns. And they begin to mock him as they strike him. And so they're not only just flogging him, they get done flogging him, they put a crown on him, they put a, a, a robe on him and they begin to mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And while they're doing so, they begin to just hit him. And other texts tell us another story as they even begin to spit upon him and hit him with reeds. Matthew 27 and verse 27 says this, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him. So they gathered all their buddies around and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put on his head and put a reed in his hand, in his right hand, excuse me, and kneeling down before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and they struck him on the head. And in Mark 15, telling of the same, in verse 18, it says, And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe, the purple cloak, and put on his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Pilate, overseeing this brutal display of mockery, abusing him not only just physically, mocking him as a king, rather than stand up for Jesus as he should have, as he said many times, this is an innocent man. Afraid of the mob, he brings out Jesus after he's been brutally beaten and brings him before the Jewish people and says, behold the man. Just for a moment, I just want us to pause Many of you in this room have probably read that. You might have even seen things like the Passion of the Christ, but so easily 
it moves from our head and moves on in our lives that we forget what Christ went through in that moment. And you think about that for a moment, rejected by his own friends, left, here now falsely charged, innocent and perfect, he suffers under the hands of those who actually should be protecting him. But that's not it, as the, even the phrase says in the Apostles' Creed, he not only suffered under Pontius Pilate, it says that he was crucified, he died, and he was buried. In verse 16 of chapter 19, it says this. It says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. When you read in the Gospel of Luke, it seems as though Pilate was trying to beat Jesus in such a way, flogging him to to satisfy the mob so that he wouldn't have to crucify him, but they were unsatisfied. They wanted Jesus crucified. And so he moves forward and says, fine. He gives them over to them to be crucified. And in verse 17, so they took Jesus and went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is an Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. It's amazing to me that he doesn't actually know how right he really is. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, But rather, write, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers, in verse 23, had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them in four parts, one one, uh, part for each of the soldiers, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture in Psalms, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother, his, standing by the cross of Jesus, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, which is John, took her to his own home. And in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing all that, is, all, that all was now finished, said, To fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put the sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he borrowed, excuse me, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And I hope when you read that, you just can find yourself there in the text and somewhat experience what Jesus is walking through. When you read it, after Jesus has now been beaten, flogged, spit upon, a crown of thorns put in his head and a robe put on his back and now ripped off, 
says that a rugged cross, literally a piece of heavy wood would have been placed on his back where he carried his own cross to a place outside the city where he was laid down and literal nails were driven through his hands and through his feet and he was lifted up above the earth for all to witness his mockery, his shame, and his guilt. As everyone walked by and scoffed and spit, as there's so much symbolization of really shame with the cross, it wasn't a great way to die. Besides that, it was humiliating. And at the top, it said, King of the Jews, the King of the Jews, just further mocking who he said he was. And I don't want to be entirely super graphic, but it says that they actually cast lot for his clothing and actually fulfilled what was said in, in Psalms. But more than that, many times when you see a crucifix, and you see a picture of what Christ went through on the cross, he actually was most likely completely naked. Full humiliation. Beaten so badly you couldn't make out who he was or what he was. And when it was nearly complete, some of the greatest words in all of Scripture, in, in verse 28 and 29 and 30, as Jesus says, when Jesus had received in verse 30 the sour wine, he said three words that I think are maybe the greatest words in all of Scripture. He says, it is finished. This amazing Greek word, teletelestai, that literally means accomplished, that it is accomplished when all that he had come to do was accomplished, when he had fulfilled all that the Father had asked him to, when he had submitted to all that the Father had, had given him to carry out, when he had come to do all that he did and give his life for the world, he declares in one moment before he gives up his life, it is finished. Man, I'll tell you today, no matter where you're coming from, those are three amazing and glorious words. Because you know what? If it is finished on the cross with Christ, it doesn't have to be finished by you and I. Man, if it's finished on the cross by, by Christ, I don't have to strive to make it finished. If God accepts what he did on the cross and it is fully finished on the cross, you and I don't have to now be accepted by God in some other way because it's already been accepted through Jesus. And then what we celebrate in two days in Easter that Christ triumphed over the grave only proves that it truly is finished. That it was accepted. And honestly, I've gone through great lengths in small ways to really portray the gruesome physical issues of what Christ went through on the cross. I mean, You've heard it many times, and many scholars do the same, and pastors uh, do the same. There was unbearable pain with ripped tendons and nerves and, and swelling of tissue with wounds and throbbing headaches and unquenchable thirst and all of this. And Christ bore all of that for us, right? The, the physical, the mental, the emotional. But can I tell you, there's a lot of people that have bore the same thing on a cross in history. Jesus isn't the only one who died on a cross. More than all of the physical stuff of what Christ has done on the cross, he bore something much worse. It wasn't just the flogging, it wasn't just the mocking, it wasn't just the, the spitting or the beating or the crucifying. More than all of that, what Christ bore on the cross was the wrath of God for all of mankind. 
that all of the sins of man was placed on Jesus. Man, every lie you've ever told was placed on Jesus. Every time you've coveted, it was placed on Jesus. Every time you had a lustful thought in your mind, in your heart, it was placed on Jesus. Every time you gossiped, it was placed on Jesus. Every person that's ever taken the life of another person, it was placed on Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus bore the weight of it all. And for the first time in all of history, as we learned this last Sunday, Christ has been living for all of eternity, for all of time with his Father in perfect, perfect, intimate relationship. And for the first time, the Father placed all of the sin of humanity on Jesus and turned his back on his own Son for you and for me. So much so that the Son, Christ, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It'd be like me going to the grocery store, trying to buy a box of cereal and saying I don't have enough money because of inflation, and I pay for that box of cereal with my own daughter. That is the, the craziness of what Christ took on for you and for me. Jesus bore it all for us. That is what Jesus did to literally sin died that day because it all was placed on Christ. And it's amazing when you get into the text and you read it, there's small things that, man, you go on to read, we don't have time to read it this evening, where, where it says that they begin to break their legs as they would because they'd be holding on too long and they could hold themselves up on the cross. I wouldn't be able to right now because of my leg, but you hold yourself up so you can breathe so you don't suffocate, and they break their legs so they fall down and they suffocate to death. But Christ is already dead, and so they broke the legs of the others, not breaking Jesus' limbs, instead piercing him with a, with a spear, and blood and water flowed out. And it seems like it's nothing, but it's only further pointing to the fact that he is the Lamb of God slain for us. There was specific rules in the Old Testament that you had to do with the Lamb. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, it shall be eaten in one house, you shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. Speaking of Passover, Numbers 9 verse 12, they shall leave none of it until the morning, nor break any of its bones. According to all the statute for Passover, they shall keep it. You see, from long ago until now, Jesus was pointing to the fact that he is the Lamb of God who says what? He's the Lamb of God. He's constantly referring himself to the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, right? And this is what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is who he is. This is what makes it Good Friday, that he was our substitute. That man, we got all of his righteousness and he got all of our sin and brokenness and shame and guilt on the cross. And I deserve and you deserve all of the suffering, the humiliation, the wrath of God, the agony, and all of it. But Christ took it for us. Why? Man, why? I don't know about you, that's maybe the thing that I will strive my entire life trying to figure out, and I'll never fully understand, is why would he do that for me? 2 Corinthians, Paul clearly says in chapter 5 and verse 21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin, made him to be sin, excuse me, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what happens on Good Friday, right? 
And the night before the crucifixion, Jesus was sharing the Passover with his disciples, right? He's having a meal with them, the Passover meal, and he points to the bread and the cup, what we now do as communion. They were celebrating Passover together, together, and he says, this is his own body and life, and he said, this is what? He said, this is for you. Can I tell you tonight what Christ did on the cross? is for you. It's for me. Jesus, in a moment on the cross, puts death or sin to death. So, man, even those, all of us in this room who place our faith and our trust in Jesus, even though we may die, the ultimate sting of death will never be felt. That's the unbelievable truth. Because why? Because it is finished. It's already been finished. And my only response has to be that I place my faith and trust in Jesus. And somehow, what he did on the cross accounts for me. Isn't that astounding? Somehow, it accounts for me. This is what Christ did for us on Good Friday. We already said that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and he died and he was buried. And then there's that last phrase I just want to point you to here and just for a moment. It says that in he descended to the dead in the Apostles' Creed. It's interesting. What this really means, as we can get hung up on this, is that Jesus joined the world of the dead, that he literally, it's just saying he literally died. It wasn't a hoax. He wasn't hidden. And nothing else happened. Jesus actually died. Scripture says in numerous places, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9, he descended into the lower parts of the earth. 1 Peter 3, 19, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. It's amazing. In Philippians 2, 10, it says, the day is coming when every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and what? And under the earth, that Jesus himself is actually proclaimed in John chapter 5 and verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The Jesus, he descended to the dead in order to proclaim victory and actually demonstrate his triumph over silencing and shaming the power of sin. That's why it says in Colossians, one of my favorite passages in all the New Testament, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, the record of debt that stood against us, so that's you and I, all of the record of your debt of sin and shame and guilt and brokenness, all of that with its legal demands, it says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Isn't that amazing? He triumphed over them. This means, man, in his death, he, he was there setting captives free. Sinners are being rescued. Forgiveness is being poured down. The debt of sin is being canceled. Satan is being disarmed, shamed, and defeated. Man, and if you tonight here are in Christ, you will never need to fear the shame of your sin being held over you by Father God. Never. Because in Christ, you've been set free. Because Christ actually descended into death, God will never look at disgust with you because you are in Christ. This is a victory for you and I. Before we ever even get to the resurrection of Christ, on the cross, the payment is paid, and now you and I get the victory. 
Man, we don't need Easter. You don't, you don't even need to celebrate in two days. You don't need to celebrate Easter if the cross never happened. What is he, what is he raising from the grave for? Man, I love Easter. That's the Sunday where people actually sing. And we like are okay with cheering in church. And we're like, okay, woo, man, I just feel like the Spirit of God is here today. Well, he's here every Sunday, just to give you a heads up. But, like, I love Easter because it just feels like lively. Like, we're here to celebrate something has happened, and it's amazing, and it changes everything. Can I tell you, Easter doesn't matter if Good Friday didn't happen. There's no reason for Easter if the penalty wasn't paid. Man, this is the best news that we can have now in Christ. Christ took all of my shame and sin and guilt and all the stuff I did today and yesterday and the day before and the stuff I'll do for the next however many years God gives me on this earth. It was paid for on the cross and all of God's wrath was poured on him and it will never be poured out on me. That is the good news of the gospel and that's why Good Friday is a good day. Man, so even now as we, we finish and we believe, yes, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and he, he was dead, he, he was murdered on a cross. He was buried. And in two days, we're going to celebrate that he rose victoriously from that grave. But before we get there, we just want to pause for a moment and just set our affections and our hearts on the fact that he gave his life for us. And so the band's going to come, and they're going to sing a song, and then we're going to worship together. And I just want you to take some moments together while I hobble out of here and just set your affections on Jesus. Every first Sunday of the month, we take communion together. But man, today I feel like it's is special. It's the day in which we celebrate Good Friday when Christ died. And so there's stations throughout the room that have just pieces of bread and a bowl of juice. You can grab one. Don't swirl your hands in there or nothing. Like, just grab one, dip it in the juice. Go back to your seat if you want to take it. Take it at the table. Before you maybe even get up so quickly, just to be like, yeah, it's communion. I'm going to go take communion. Just maybe pause and reflect for a moment and picture Christ on the cross. Not just a bloody Jesus, but my, my shame and my guilt and my brokenness being poured out on him. And then, when I fully set my affections on Jesus, rise and maybe with your family or your kids or just by your spouse yourself or with your spouse, go and take it and go back and sit at your, however you want the Lord's leading you to do it. But I would, I would commend you before you do it, let's just spend a few moments as we hear singing and just reflect on the Lord. If there's places in your life before we get to, to taking communion or Easter or anything else, that you just need to spend some moments saying like, Lord, like, yeah, this has been, this has been some stuff in my life. I just need to confess this to you, repent of this. You gave up your life and your ultimate relationship with the Lord so that I can walk in freedom, not walk in bondage. And I've been walking in bondage. And today, Lord, I, I, I repent of that and I confess that before you. And today I celebrate you, Lord, by doing this, proclaiming your death until you come today in this place. So as the band sings, Whenever you're ready, you can come. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for just today and, and what it means to each one of us. The fact that it is Good Friday. It's not Bad Friday. It's not, it's not anything else, Lord. It's, it's, it's the best day that we could ask for. It's the day when you 
even in your struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what was before you, so overwhelmed with anxiety that droplets of blood would be pressed through your pores. You looked forward and you saw every person in this room, every person online, every person in the world, and you said, for you, I give myself. For you, I break my body. For you, I shed my blood. May we never get over that, Lord. May we never be in a place where that doesn't completely overwhelm us, where it doesn't blow us away. So God, thank you for that truth and who you are. Thank you for the what tonight means in Good Friday. Be with us now, even as we celebrate you and sing of your beautiful, amazing, precious blood that was shed on our behalf. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen.